From the virtual newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, February 5th. I'm Brian Walsh. Today, I'm joined by Professor Tonsi Whalen, Director of the Center for Sustainable Business at NYU's Stern School of Business. Her study of corporate boards found vanishingly few have experience to lead on ESG issues. Hi, Professor Whalen, and thanks for joining our podcast. Hello, Brian. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Great. I look forward to our conversation. But first, here's what you need to know from this week in Impact Investing. Biodiversity is the new climate change. Ecological collapse is not only an existential risk to humanity, it's also a global financial risk. The Dasgupta Review, named for the Cambridge professor who wrote it, painted a grim picture of extinction and degradation, but cited opportunities to shift capital and value natural assets. Only $13 billion in private capital goes to biodiversity each year, and zero out of the 75 largest asset managers have a dedicated investment policy on biodiversity. Investors have discovered food waste. Last month, Imperfect Foods raised $95 million to distribute foods deemed too ugly for supermarkets. But such investments are just a drop in the bucket if the U.S. and the world are going to meet stated goals of cutting food waste in half by 2030. In a new report, the nonprofit Refed finds that there's a $14 billion annual investment opportunity and that that investment could yield $73 billion. That's a 5 to 1 return. The cost of capturing carbon and growing meat in laboratories are dropping. The Canadian company Svante has cut in half the cost of capturing carbon from industrial processes, including manufacturing cement. Singapore's Tamasic led a $75 million round of financing to scale up Svante's efforts. And Israeli company Future Meat has gotten the cost of its lab-grown chicken down to just $7.50 a breast, making it one of the first cellular meat companies to get close to a commercially viable price for meat grown in vats from animal cells. Food giants ADM and Tyson Foods joined a $27 million round to bring future meat to market. Impact Alpha subscribers got all of these stories and much more in The Brief, delivered weekday mornings straight to their email inbox. And one more note, on last week's Impact Briefing, my co-host Monique Aiken introduced Impact Alpha's newest podcast series, The Reconstruction. The first three episodes are up. Check them out at impactalpha.com slash the-reconstruction. And now it's time for our featured conversation. Professor Whalen, you had a guest post in Impact Alpha this week headlined, Corporate Boards Are Not Leading Companies Where They Need to Go. So why is the experience and expertise of corporate board members important? Why should investors care? Well, corporate boards today are making decisions around important strategic objectives for the organization. They're also handling major risks as well as major opportunities for the company. And when you look at what are the material risks and opportunities for most industries today, there are significant environmental, social, and governance issues that boards need to understand and be able to ask the right questions around to determine whether the leadership of the company are actually tackling them in a way that will help that company both manage any risk, but also see how they can be you know, competitive and move forward on tackling things like climate change or diversity inclusion or cybersecurity risk. So what spurred you to do this study, this analysis of corporate boards? 
Well, I have had some experience with boards myself, and I saw that many board members don't think that these issues are important. And I've heard this as well from employees within these companies that the board is not taking a leadership role. So I was curious as to what are the credentials of board members. And so we looked at the Fortune 100, 1,188 board members. We did the research in 2018 to understand what their credentials were around ESG and to understand whether they really could ask the right questions of their leadership. Because without having some background, I don't think people need to be climate change scientists, but if they have no history or engagement or interest in these topics, they're not going to be asking the right questions and focusing on the right strategic issues for the company. So how did you evaluate the credentials of these nearly 1,200 board members? So we looked at environmental, social, and governance. We looked at what the companies reported themselves in company bios as well as in filings. So we because we figured if they weren't including it as relevant, even if the board member might have some credentials that aren't being included there, they're not seeing that particular credential as important. So that's where we got our data from. Uh, and then we looked at environmental side of things, you know, what kind of experience do they have? So somebody who's a former EPA administrator, for example, or a leader in the World Business Council for Sustainable Development has good environmental credentials. Or somebody who has uh, worked in cyber risk and security terrorism might have good governance credentials. Somebody who has a strong background and engagement around diversity issues on the social side. So those are the types of qualifications we looked for. So when it comes to materiality, that's the material financial impact of environmental, social, and governance considerations, uh, there is a real connection to financial performance here. And so what is the risk that these companies face in not having this uh, appropriate or necessary ESG experience on their boards? Well, there's a growing body of research that is finding that those companies that are not tackling those issues that are material are underperforming those that do. Uh, George Serfman out of Harvard did some interesting research on this and found that stock performance in a large portfolio over time, that those companies that manage for their material ESG issues had an outperformance of 6%. You can also look um, specifically at companies uh, that aren't tackling, for example, environmental issues. You can look at VW and their cheating on emissions, right? And so the strategy there was to avoid dealing with a major environmental issue as opposed to actually tackling it and getting out in front of it, which is what they've done now as a sort of reaction to not doing the right thing then. You know, if we look at the insurance sector and you think about property and casualty and also human health, and we see increased extreme weather events affecting property, we see extreme, um, you know, uh, heat and drought affecting human health. Right? So there's a series of issues that if you're not looking at climate related to the impact on your financials as an insurance company, um, you're missing the boat. And another example, I, I've done a lot of work in Latin America and a lot of work on commodities such as coffee. And coffee is massively impacted by the significant changes in weather related to climate change. Productivity is down. Use of chemicals is up. The um, places where you can actually grow coffee are getting less and less. So again, if you're in coffee, second most traded commodity in the world after oil, and you're not paying attention to these issues at a board level and at a C-suite level, then you're not going to be in business that long. So what are the implications then for investors? Like, So what are investors uh, and the shareholders in these companies to do about this dearth of relevant ESG experience on so many of these uh, large company boards? Well, I think investors are increasingly requiring 
reporting to SASB, the um, Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, so that you have at least some good data around what are the material risks for the company. I think they can also ask to see the company's risk register to make sure they're understanding the risks and managing for those key risks. Um, but then in terms of the board, you know, as more and more investors are asking for diversity on the board, which they should do in terms of women and race, uh, uh, they should, uh, or gender and race, they should also be asking for ESG credentials. And that, you know, you can have those ESG credentials through training. You don't necessarily have to come into the board with them. So I would also be looking at what kind of educational opportunities have the board members been given in order to better understand the issues, the ESG issues for both the industry that they're in and the company that they're working for. So we're entering um, soon the the uh, proxy season. Um, do you see any hot fights upcoming between shareholders and boards on any of these issues? Well, we've seen that uh, there's a number of investors in Exxon who are concerned about the way in which Exxon has really, for the most part, avoided dealing with climate change, disclosing important risks, et cetera. And there's been a variety of other efforts to, to bring Exxon to heel around those topics by investors. And most recently, we've seen investors like Engine Number 1 come in with a suggested roster of board members uh, who have low carbon transition credentials, right? People who understand renewable energy, et cetera. Because one of the things we're seeing is that most oil and gas companies, while they're doing, they're paying lip service to uh, that carbon transition, they're just spending a tiny fraction of revenue on R&D associated with that, as opposed to really thinking about how do they manage a pivot. Uh, so I think that's a, that's a key area. Another example is to look at, you know, the consumer packaged good um, space, We've seen companies begin to make the pivot like Unilever and PepsiCo and companies like Kraft, which has not. And Kraft is actually owned by, you know, uh, mostly by 3G, which as an investor has focused on a strategy more of doubling down on reducing costs, basically. And so there's been no money into R&D around sustainability and nutrition. There's been no focus on investing in sort of the... Um, making the pivot to more sustainable products that consumers actually want and, and underperforming massively, right? So I think that that kind of traditional investor approach of let's just figure out how to reduce expenses as much as possible, improve our margins and the short-term returns to, to shareholders is really destroying more value than it's creating and that investors need to really focus on uh, supporting board members who are going to look for a more value creation orientation that includes ESG sort of embedded in the business strategy. And, and that gets back to the kind of ongoing uh, tension between uh, short-termism and long-termism, right? So those companies that are looking to manage for long-term value creation versus those that are looking to just generate short-term returns for short-term investors. Um, and what do you see as the role for boards to play in navigating uh, this this tension? Well, so first of all, I think increasingly boards are recognizing that the short-term investors are actually a small portion of their investors, they're the loudest <laughs> oftentimes, uh, and they're the ones that sort of in terms of analyst calls, you tend to have more of the short-term focus. But a big portion of their holdings are by the long-term uh, investors, also by passive investors like, you know, Vanguard funds, et cetera. And, and I think that, um, therefore, the board needs to pay more attention to the long-term interests of the majority of their 
um, shareholders. In addition, what we're seeing is that ESG is really creating short-term value as well as long-term value. So the, another set of research we're doing is called ROSI, Return on Sustainability Investment, where we've been working with big companies and everything from pharma to apparel to uh, agriculture and, and so on. And what we're finding is that you know, these types of investments are generating a lot of intangible as well as tangible benefits, right? So um, things like uh, an automotive company's waste reduction strategy, operational efficiencies resulting in about $285 million annually benefit for that company's bottom line. And that's something that you can, you know, make happen very quickly. Another is around employee productivity and retention for companies as there's a war for talent. And what we're seeing, for example, with the work we did with REI, the apparel company, that through their purpose and sustainability strategy, they had higher productivity and higher retention rates, which translated to about $34 million um, annually of benefit for them. Uh, so, you know, you, there's, there's, I think, a real argument for boards to understand that there are short-term financial returns, as well as it's important to um, acknowledge that the, the long-term viability of the company is the most important thing for virtually um, all of their shareholders. The, the research that you've cited uh, talks a lot about protecting downside financial risk, but I wonder if there's an opportunity here to, to look at the what we call the impact alpha opportunity, the outperformance by looking at uh, the impact considerations. And do you see that possibility of, of boards looking at these considerations and having the capabilities to look at ESG factors, not just to prevent uh, negative downside, but potentially uh, to look for positive upside? Yes, we think that um, through our research, we've done some other research around uh, how do you incorporate ESG into your quarterly calls and guidance and reporting, uh, as well as how do you add the financial returns to your ESG reporting? Because right now they're they're completely divorced. You have your ESG, quote unquote, non-financial disclosures, and you have financial disclosures, and nobody's really tracking how the two interact. So I think increasingly investors will be asking for that interaction and board members need to be asking for it now so that they're well prepared. Um, and what we're finding is that uh, the CFO's office is not really set up to track and understand the financial value being returned. So that waste reduction that I talked about with the automotive companies, for example, um, a lot of that benefit was through recycling paint and solvents because you no longer have to buy the virgin stuff. You're no longer paying the waste disposal costs. And actually they were selling leftover stuff. Um, nobody had the ability to kind of pull together all that data and tie it back to the waste reduction strategy. Um, and we're finding that over and over and over again with every type of company that we work with, that they're not tracking those financial returns. Um, in addition, when you're looking at quarterly calls, we did some work with about a dozen companies to understand how you might bring ESG into quarterly calls. There we found that, again, you know, analysts understandably are not really interested in, you know, how your greenhouse gas emission reduction. But if you say our greenhouse gas emission reduction is helping us through driving innovation of new products or services, right? These commitments of, or it's created more operational efficiencies for us, or it's improved our supply chain resiliency, which we found um, in this, in sort of during COVID. There's a series of benefits that you can monetize and demonstrate um, as important. And I think the board really needs to be, you know, have a separate committee around ESG and begin to really understand this return on sustainability investment. And so what do you see as the the biggest point of leverage for um, stakeholders to, to to take action based on the findings of this research? Where, where do you think the most impact can come? Well, I, I think investors clearly can have a huge impact on composition of boards by demanding, as they're doing now, more diversity, and they can demand more diversity in ESG credentials. And uh, uh, also, I think organizations that are... Um, 
service boards uh, need to start incorporating ESG training and courses into their course offerings. There are uh, a number of offerings out there. Competent Boards has ESG offerings. Series now has a course on this. So I think there's no excuse. Board members can get trained up on it and investors should be asking to see that they have been. Um, and, I, and I think as well, investors should be looking at the governance structure. So in addition to the credentials of the board, are they just grafting ESG or sustainability onto the governance committee? Um, or are they create, you know, so where there's already a huge agenda or onto the audit and risk committee or whatever, and instead, you know, are they really creating a dedicated unit that then interacts with and supports the team members and the company and, and, and that there really are champions at the board level for ESG within the company is also really critical for investors to put pressure on. And I think as well, you know, consumers and others can, and regulators can put pressure on these topics too. That's great. And um, what's next for you? What's your uh, next research you want to take on? Well, we have a lot of different research that we're taking on. Uh, one is finishing up a report around the correlation between good ESG performance and good financial performance. That'll be coming out shortly. And then this year, I'm working on some research looking at private equity and its impact on sustainability in terms of the current way uh, much of PE is run, where you're looking to reduce employee headcount, you're looking to externalize, you know, costs. Um, so, uh, very interested in sort of the outcomes of that, where we're seeing, you know, for example, uh, PE-owned health companies delivering higher cost stays with worse uh, medical outcomes. You know, so there's a variety of different uh, topics that we're going to be exploring um, in terms of our research over the next year. That's great. Well, we'll look forward to, to following that research. Uh, Professor Whalen, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much, Brian. It's been a pleasure. That's going to do it for your Impact Briefing this week. You can read all of these stories at impactalpha.com. Impact Alpha's podcasts are available wherever you listen. They are made possible by Impact Alpha subscribers. Join them and receive the daily brief and full access to Impact Alpha's content. Podcast listeners get $100 off their annual subscription. Go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and use the code briefing100 for $100 off. Thank you for listening and thanks to our guest this week, Professor Tansi Whalen. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Isaac Silk. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company, Liquinet. Until next time, take good care.